Amen. Thank you, brother. Great job tonight, as always. Man, he is truly marvelous and holy, and I'm so very thankful this evening that I've been given the privilege and the opportunity of sharing with you from his precious truth. I'm so glad for each and every one that's come out to this um, service this evening. Man, it's good to see all of you. Um, as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, I have truly missed seeing and fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters in Jesus over the last month and a half. I'm thankful for the technology that we have and the ability that we have to um, broadcast our services over social media. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Man, God just does something special when his people meet together. And I'm so very thankful uh, that you have made the decision to meet this evening um, here to, to be in this study of, of God's precious word. Thank you for not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together because that's what the Bible says. We shouldn't do that. We ought to meet together. God's commanded us to meet together. And I want to thank you for being here tonight. What a blessing it is to see each and every one of you. Now, if you're not here and you're listening to us by Facebook or SoundCloud or whatever way you're listening, praise God for that too. I'm thankful you're out there. Thankful you're tuning in. But I want you to know you're welcome to be back in God's house. And, uh, man, we're ready to see you. So come be with us um, and, and, and take part in what God's going to do in his church. Um, let's dive right into the Word of God tonight. Romans chapter number 8. Let's look together. Uh, we have spent the last three or four weeks in Romans chapter number 8. And we've come to find out that the 8th chapter of the book of Romans is packed full of powerful, life-changing truth. If we'll take this truth and apply it unto ourselves, I can promise you uh, we will see the freedom we have in Christ and also the victory we have in Jesus. And we've talked a whole lot about that. Now, we found out, first of all, that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has outlined for us several freedoms in Romans chapter 8 that comes to those who are in Christ. We saw that in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I love this verse, man. What a blessing it is to me. And if you're a child of God, it's a blessing to you as well. Um, the Bible teaches those who are in Christ are no longer under the condemnation of sin. Why is that? Because we have trusted in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. See, the sin that we were all once in was what separated us from God who is holy. But the Bible teaches when we place our faith in Christ as Savior that our sins are washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. The blood that was shed for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. So when we trust in His finished work, His perfect life, His perfect or sacrificial death, His powerful resurrection, when we trust in His finished work, we, the Bible tells us we are now in Christ. We're put into the body of the Lord Jesus. We are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ has, and all Christ does. So now we who are in Jesus, we who have been born again, blood-bought, we who are saved, there's no condemnation uh, coming to us because of our sin. We said uh, no condemnation means that we are free from judgment. Jesus took my judgment at the cross. Jesus took my condemnation at the cross. And he gave me his freedom. And the Bible says, to whom the Son sets free, you are free indeed. And I want you to know, if you've not yet been set free, 
by placing your trust in Christ. Today's the day. I've got great news for you. The same Jesus who has set me free can set you free. So I'm so very thankful for that uh, great truth tonight. Jesus took my sin and, and he gave me his righteousness. Every time I think about that, that blows me away. God no longer sees me as a, as a lost sinner, but he sees me as a saved son. Not because of how good I am, but because of how good Jesus is. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. It's not a bit about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took my death and he gave me eternal life. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 verse 1, man, that is... That's a powerful verse. I'm so very thankful that there is now, therefore now no condemnation and that we are free from judgment because of our sin. Now, not only have we saw that we are free from judgment, we've also saw that we're free from obligation. Look, look what the Bible teaches there, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 12. Do you know that, Folks, um, we don't have to live defeated Christian lives. We don't have to live according to that old sinful nature. But because we are in Christ, we are no longer debtors to the flesh. We're no longer obligated to live according to the old sinful nature that we were born with uh, through the seed of Adam. Listen to what it says there, Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now... We who are in Christ are no longer living in obligation to the old sinful nature. I don't think like I used to think. Therefore, I don't act like I used to act. I'm no longer in bondage to being what I used to be. Now, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus by the power of the precious Holy Spirit, by the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now listen, if you're a believer, the Bible teaches that you have been born again into God's family and you have been indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit, the person of Christ dwells in you. You need to understand that. If you've been if you've been saved tonight, he says that the spirit of that raised up Jesus dwells in us. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. I'm not living in obligation to the old sinful nature. Now I'm living by the power of the Spirit. Not that um, I have arrived, not that I'm perfect. I'm still growing in this thing like all of us are. We're all still trying to be what God wants us to be, but we now have the help of the Spirit that works on us, works in us, and works through us to accomplish God's goodwill and purpose. So we need to see we're free from judgment because there's no condemnation. We must see we're free from defeat for there's no obligation to the old sinful nature, the flesh. But tonight, I want to look at the third thing here in Romans chapter 8. We need to see that we are free uh, from discouragement, that there's no desperation that can hold the child of God down when you actually get a hold of what Romans 8, 18 through 23 is saying. So let's read that together, and then we're going to come back um, and, and unpack as much of this as we can. Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, watch this now, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. All of creation is groaning and travailing in sorrow even now. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, but we know that his words still ring true today. All of creation is truly groaning. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then he says this, verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, watch this now, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us. Lord, I'm so very thankful that you have done for me what I couldn't do, that, Lord, you have taken my death and gave me your life. You've taken my sin and gave me your righteousness. Lord, I'm thankful tonight. You've taken my condemnation and my judgment and gave me freedom. How good you are, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done. And I'm praying tonight that you would make your truth real to us by your power. Holy Spirit, have your way, have your will. Do your work in this place. Speak to hearts and change lives. Father, we're asking that you do the work that needs doing in the hearts and lives of people. Where conviction is needed, bring conviction. Where comfort is needed, we're asking, Holy Spirit, you bring comfort. Whatever you want to do, we know you're able in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I believe what Paul is talking about here, what he's reckoning about, like he says there in verse number 18, is the sufferings that we face in this life, the things that we all go through. And he pretty much says that he's been reckoning, he's been thinking about all this suffering that is now in the present time, and he's come to the conclusion that they are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I found out this week that the word reckon is actually a, an accounting term. And so really what he's saying is he's comparing the sufferings that we're facing now and he's looking forward to the hope we have in Christ in the future and he's saying I'm still in the black. I'm not in the red. <laughs> he, what, he's, what he's telling us is I've weighed both of these things out and I know that the hope I have in Jesus far outweighs the sufferings that we're facing right now. But the truth is we're all still facing sufferings, right? We're all still going through stuff. We live in a world full of sin. We live in a world full of suffering. We live in a very discouraging world. I mean, we live in a world full of trouble, trial, and tribulation. We live in a world full of hate, full of murder, full of deceit, full of rioting. We live in a world that's full of of bad things, disease. <laughs> We're facing that right now on a grand scale. We live with all of these things. That's what our world's filled with. Now, listen to me, folks. 
If we don't get a handle and a right perspective on the suffering that is around us, it's going to cause us to do one of two things, at least uh, two things that, that can happen to us. First of all, if we don't have a right perspective on the sufferings that we face, it will cause me and it will cause you to get a wrong idea of who God is, what, what God is doing, and what God is not doing. It, it'll cause us uh, to, to either doubt or to rebel. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If we look out into our world and we see the sufferings that uh, people are facing, we see the troublesome times that people are going through, or if we ourselves experience times of suffering, that's really when it hits home. When we experience those tough times, those troublesome times, those times of tribulation, or people that are near and dear to us do, they experience times of trouble, trial, and tribulation, it begins us to... Uh, to, to ask, it makes us to begin to ask questions about who God is and what God does. Let me see if some of this sounds familiar. We're going through great times of, of trouble, trouble and, and tribulation and suffering, and, and, and that's a great time for us to begin to wonder, is God really who he claims to be? If God is truly able to do all things, then why ain't he fixing my situation? If God's truly able to do what's necessary to make things right, why is he allowing things to be wrong in my life? You ever wondered that? I think from time to time we've all found ourselves asking some questions that sometimes causes doubt as to who God is and what God says what God has promised because of what's going on in our life or what we see going on in the lives of others. It'll cause us to doubt if we don't get a proper perspective on what suffering really is or it will cause us to rebel because then we begin to think, well, if God is truly able to do all things and he's able to fix my situation, but he's not fixing my situation, then I'm done with God. I'm not going to serve him. I'm not going to love him. I, I, I'm going to do my own thing and go my own way. As a matter of fact, just a, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a young man at my workplace. And he, he, he was, uh, it's just amazing to me how the Lord opens doors sometimes uh, in, in a way like only God can do. Just out of the blue, uh, God can just uh, allow people to come into your life to either um, to either be encouraged by or to encourage. And that's kind of one of those things that happened that day. That young man was uh, truly encouraging me, and, and, and I hope and pray that I was able to encourage him a little bit. But he began asking some questions. And one of his questions that, that he asked me is about a young man that he grew up with. He said, I've got a good friend of mine, one of my best friends in school, and he says that he's an atheist. And I said, is that right? He said, yeah, man. He said, I've talked to him and told him the, a lot of the stuff that I believe about God and what I know to be true. He said, but he still claims to believe there is no God. I said, why is that? He said, well, he went through some tough times 
when he was a kid growing up. He went through some terrible times, some family situations that broke his heart and still he hadn't got over today. And he's wondering if God loves him, why would God allow those things to happen? And so we talked about in that truck that day a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight because I think that's where a lot of people find themselves. When they go through times of suffering, it causes them to doubt, and many times it causes them to rebel against God. If you don't have a proper perspective. Now, Paul here is reckoning all this. He's thinking about it. He's trying to look at the sufferings we're facing and the hope we have in the future. And by power of the Holy Spirit and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's given us a proper perspective on suffering that we need to take note of. All right? Let's look at what he says. There's three words that I really want us to see here in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. The first word that I want you to see comes in verse number 21. It's called bondage. Do you see it there? He says that because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage. If you underline in your Bible, and I hope you do, underline or circle the word bondage. All right, let's go on down. Then he says, of corruption into the glorious liberty. Does everybody see that? The word liberty, underline that or circle that. And then go down to verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doeth he yet hope for it? So underline or circle hope. These are the three words that Paul is going to use tonight by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us a proper perspective on the suffering that we face, the world that we live in. All right. So let's take bondage first of all. What does it mean when we're talking about bondage? Bondage speaks of the curse that is on this world. I'm talking about a curse that has been here since the beginning. Why? Uh, what is the bondage of corruption that's spoken about in verse 21? What causes all of the war and disease and strife and suffering and sickness? What causes all of this stuff that we see in our world today? Well, it's a three-letter word that we all know. It's sin. Sin is what causes this bondage of corruption. And it happened uh, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, all the way at the beginning. Sin entered the world, and this bondage of corruption has, has been wreaking havoc ever since. That's what Paul is speaking of here. Now, if we're not careful, sometimes we begin to ask questions about why God allowed sin to happen in the first place. If sin causes all the suffering, then why did God uh, give the potentiality for sin? Why did God make it permissible for Adam and Eve to disobey Him? And, and that's a very good question. I think that's a question that we certainly need to answer. Now, the first thing you need to understand is God per, per, uh, created everything perfectly. Everything. You go back and read, and I'm not going to do it tonight, but I encourage you to do that in your quiet time this week. Genesis, the first three chapters, God gives us a, a detailed uh, list of all the things he created. And you're going to see over and over and over again that God created this, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. And God created this, and it was good. So whatever God created, he created perfectly. It was good, for he is good. So God created everything perfectly, a perfect garden, a, a, a perfect world, and then he put in that garden perfect human beings. 
perfect creation of Adam and of Eve. So he gave, uh, uh, had a perfect creation, perfect people put there in the garden. And then let me tell you what he gave to Adam and Eve. And this is the thing that we must get a hold of. He gave them perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. Now you say, Brother Israel, that, that's my problem. That's where I, what I can't get past. Why would God allow Adam and Eve to have perfect freedom? If, if perfect freedom comes with the potentiality for them to sin. And that's exactly what it does. See, if we're free to choose what is good to love God, then we must be free to choose what is evil and rebel against God. So why would God give a perfect freedom to his perfect creation? Well, that's a good question, but I believe that there's an answer for that. See, without perfect freedom, you truly can't love. Can't do it. Now, this is the amazing thing. God is love. But, but let me ask you something. What good is love if there's nobody to love? I've heard it said that a bell is not a bell if you don't ring it. And a song is not a song if you don't sing it. And we'll never truly experience the fullness of love if you don't have nobody to love. <laughs> I believe that to be true. And so God created his own creation in the garden so that he might love them and they in turn might love him. But without perfect freedom, he could not experience real love. See, forced love is not love at all. Would you agree? If you force someone to care about something or someone, that's not real love. That's not uh, real care for whatever you're forcing them to care about. Care about. God wanted real a real love relationship with mankind, and to have that, you have to have perfect freedom. In order to be able to choose good and love God, you also have the ability to choose evil and rebel against God. Now the truth is, mankind chose evil and rebelled against God. And so this bondage of corruption, this sin that entered the world and caused all of this suffering happened because God gave man perfect freedom and with that perfect freedom, man chose evil and disobeyed, rebelled against God. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means a whole lot of stuff. Now listen, because of this bondage of corruption, a curse came upon this world. God pronounced several of them in Genesis chapter 3. Flip back over there and let me read to you three scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, look down at verse number 14. Watch what the Bible teaches. First of all, there was a curse on the animal kingdom. Genesis 3, verse 14 says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. 
Upon the belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now this is true in verse number 14 that the serpent was cursed. But now listen to me, folks. This also implies that all of the animal kingdom was cursed. He, he says that you will be cursed above all cattle. You will be cursed above every beast of the field. So all of creation in the animal kingdom is under the curse. It's just the serpent that got it even worse because Satan came and tempted Eve in the form of a serpent. So there was a curse upon the animal kingdom. But look down at verse number th uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 17. There's also a curse on the mineral kingdom. Now watch what he says. And, a, and he said unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Everybody see that? Why do we have deserts and barren places and unfruitful places that nothing will grow? Because there's a curse on the mineral kingdom in this world. Curse on the ground itself. Not only is there a curse on the animal kingdom, and there's a curse on the mineral kingdom, but Genesis 3.18 says there's a curse on the vegetable kingdom. Watch what it tells us. Thou also uh, and the thistle shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Why do we have weeds that grow in our garden? Why do we have um, briars that come sprout up from the ground. It's all because of the curse of sin. The curse that came because of Adam and Eve's decision to rebel against God who is holy. Is everybody, are you getting this tonight? Now listen to me. Have you ever noticed it's a whole lot easier to grow weeds than it is to grow vegetables? Have you ever noticed that there's actually a law in the animal kingdom of survival of the fittest. If you don't believe me, watch the Discovery Channel when you get home tonight. Those stories and those documentaries about the African safari and or the African Serengeti, the, the, all that's going on out there in the animal kingdom. It's survival of the fittest. Now, it wasn't always like that. In the, in the garden, uh, I believe that the lion laid down with the lamb, and I'll show you why. In just a moment. I believe there was complete peace among the animal kingdom in the garden. But because of the curse of sin, all of that changed. Now, not only did it change the vegetable kingdom and the mineral kingdom, and not only did it change the animal kingdom, but it also changed the human kingdom that's upon this earth. Do you remember what God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26? God said, And let us make man in our own image. We were created as mankind in the image of God. And then he said that man would have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the beasts of the field. But when we chose to disobey God, we lawfully gave away our right to rule in this earth. And now the Bible says Satan has dominion in this earth. He is the prince of the power of the air. Now how did he get that? He got that power all because Adam forfeited his right to rule there in the garden. Are you getting this? So this bondage of corruption speaks of yesterday's curse. The curse that came because of sin there in the garden. Now, I've heard people say this, and it's a very good question. I think it needs to be answered. Well, Adam caused it, and Adam drug us all down to where we are now, and now we have sin, and now we have suffering, and now we have disease, and now we have um, uh, curses on, on every form of creation. All that's true. But even though Adam caused it, if God is truly a loving God, then why don't God just destroy evil right now? 
Why don't God simply destroy the devil right now? Have you ever heard those questions? I have. Have you ever thought of those questions? Let me ask you something. If God destroys the ability to, to, to commit evil, what's he done? He's destroyed perfect freedom. And once he destroys perfect freedom, he destroys true love. And a world without true love is a world not worth living in, in my opinion. And you've destroyed the chief and highest good. So God can't destroy evil without destroying love. Do you see this? Now, we've seen the bondage of corruption spoken about in Romans 8.21. Now let's look at liberty. Go back with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 21 says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, watch this now, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I want you to get a hold of this truth. God does not destroy evil, for if he destroys evil, he destroys perfect freedom. And if he destroys perfect freedom, he destroys true love, real love. But even though God does not destroy evil, listen, he defeated evil. And he defeated evil because the story in the Garden of Eden is only the story of one garden. How many of you understand there's two gardens that we need to be focusing on? We certainly need to focus on the Garden of Eden, but you must focus on the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you know Adam chose to disobey God and rebel against God in the Garden of Eden, but the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he chose to obey God in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, not my will, but thy will be done. And then Jesus went to the cross, listen to me now, conquered death hell and the grave and because he conquered sin at the cross he can and will make right what Adam made wrong in the first garden Jesus accomplished in the second garden what Adam failed in in the first garden and so the Bible says in Romans 8 verse number 23 that now we are all waiting on the liberty we know has already been purchased and is coming. It was purchased by Jesus at the cross. It was made real because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. It is prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Let me share it with you. Go, go to Isaiah chapter number 11 and see what the Bible prophesies about what's going to happen when Jesus one day comes and sets up his earthly kingdom um, here in this world. Isaiah chapter 11. And let's look at verse number 6. Watch this. 
prophesying of the second advent of Christ, of the second coming of the Lord when he will come and set up his earthly kingdom. The Bible says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, how many of you know, today in our world, the wolf certainly doesn't lie down with the lamb. Why? Because there's a curse on the animal kingdom. But when Jesus comes, right, comes back and finally and fully sets right what Adam set wrong, then, folks, you, know, you need to know, then there will be liberty, freedom in the animal kingdom again to be and do what God originally created them to be and do. Not only is that true for the animal kingdom, that's also true for the mineral kingdom. Go to Isaiah 35, verse number 1. Watch this. The Bible says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. There's going to come a time when Jesus comes back and finally and fully sets right what Adam made wrong in the garden, when he comes back and sets up his earthly kingdom at his second advent, then there's going to be liberty, freedom in the uh, mineral kingdom for this earth to be what God created it to be. And even the desert places are going to sprout forth and, and produce roses, the Bible tells us. Now let's, let's go on. Isaiah 55, verses 12 and 13. Watch this. There's also going to be liberty again in the, in the uh, vegetable kingdom. Isaiah 55, verse 12. Watch what the Bible tells us. It says here, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up from the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up from the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. There's going to be no thorns, going to be no more briars. Now the earth is going to spring forth with new life like God had first intended when he created it perfectly there in the Garden of Eden. Isn't this amazing? All of this is going to be made uh, right fully and finally, at the second coming of Jesus. That's what we have to look forward to. That brings me to my third and last point. Not only do we need to see uh, this, um, this corruption, uh, bondage of corruption that's spoken of in Romans chapter 8, but we also need to see the liberty that we know is coming, and we know it's coming because we have hope in what's been promised. Let's go back, look there in Romans chapter 8, verse number 24. Watch this. He says that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Now, we don't see those things taking place today, but we know upon the authority of the Word of God that's been promised to us, that we just read in the book of Isaiah, that that day is coming. Amen? We have the blessed hope of a better day in our future. And that's what Paul is looking to in Romans 8.21, he said, I'm looking at the sufferings that this world is going through today, that I myself am going through today, that the people of God are going through today. I look at these sufferings now, and I reckon that they're not even to be compared with the hope I have in the future, the hope of the finished and final work of Jesus when he comes 
to set right what Adam set wrong. But this hope, it's not seen now. If we can see it, then, it, then it's not something we hope for. For what a man seeth, why doeth he yet hope for it? The last part says. But if we hope for what we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for what I've been promised. I'm looking forward to the future I have in Christ. Don't focus so much on the pain and suffering of today, but focus on the promise we have in the future. Now you say, brothers, well, how do we do that? Why do we do that? We do that because God's never failed in his promises. What he says, he will do. If Jesus accomplished every one of the prophecies, and there's about over 300, some say 313, some say 317 prophecies were fulfilled at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ through his life and ministry. Over 300 separate prophecies were perfectly fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus. Now there's a whole lot of other prophecies in the Old Testament. We just read some of them in the book of Isaiah about the second coming of Jesus. Now if Jesus fulfilled all 300 in his first coming, who's to say he's not going to fulfill all 300 or all the rest of them in his second coming? He's on record for doing what he says he's going to do. And let me give you the best part. This is the best part. The Bible says that we will one day be just as he is. Do you get that? We will one day have a brand new glorified body because of the finished work of Jesus. The finished work that will be finally and fully completed in the future that we hope for as a people of God. We need to see this bondage of corruption. That's yesterday's curse. We need to see the liberty that has been promised. And we need to see tomorrow's hope as we look forward to what we have in Christ. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, in me, and in you. We shall be as Jesus is. That's the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Father God, for all your many blessings. Lord, I'm so thankful this evening that what Adam made wrong in the garden in his disobedience, Lord, you made right in your garden through obedience. You went and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and Lord, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful tonight that we have the blessed hope of a future with you where there's free from pain and suffering and the curse of sin that it's on this world. Lord, I'm asking you to make this truth real to us tonight. I'm asking you to, Lord, just continually work in the hearts and lives of the people in this fellowship. I'm asking a lot of fire in our church that cannot be quenched. I'm asking you, Lord, to save souls, encourage believers,
Do the work that only you can do. And Father, don't let us mess it up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.